Ephesians, the fourth chapter. And as you do, if you have ever been frustrated with the church, this passage of scripture is for you. If you've ever been angry with anyone in the church, if you ever had an argument in the church, this passage of scripture is for you. If you have ever felt disconnected, unappreciated by folk who just won't grow up, this passage of scripture is for you. Let's stand for the reading of God's word, Ephesians, the fourth chapter. We'll be reading verses 1 through 16 this morning. This is the word of God. Hear the voice of Christ. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to with to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Indeed, saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, make the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This morning we'll be coming from this text talking about building a championship team. Building a championship team. Let us pray. Father, we do come in great need of you. We need you for life itself. Our very breath we need you for, Lord. Everything we are needs you. And Father, as we come to this passage of, of Scripture, Lord, I ask that by your Holy Spirit, you will give us illumination. May you give us insight. May you make your words plain to us that we may carry out the purposes that you have for your people called the church. And Father, may our preconceived notions about the church be crushed under weight of your truth. May you bring healing where healing is needed. May you bring 
joy where, where joy is needed, hope and, and peace. Lord, you be our all in all this morning. Father, I'm weak, but you are able. Please speak that we may hear, that we may be transformed. In Jesus' holy name we do pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, whether you like basketball or not, it's one thing we can say about the University of Louisville winning the 2013 NCAA Division I Men's Championship. And that it, it was special. It was special for a, a few reasons. But one reason it was special because the previous year they made it to the Final Four and got booted out by the in-state rival. Special because, from a lot of people's perspective, it was one of the best championship games that we've seen in, a long, in, in recent years. But one thing that I think about that makes it so special is the fact that we saw them come together as a team and win. Teamwork. Because when, when you look at their team, you don't necessarily see that one superstar who, who night in and night out is carrying the team and, and putting up these MVP numbers. You won't find a team full of NBA prospects that are just better than everyone else, and that's why they won. What you have is a team full of really good players. But what makes them so special is you find a group of individuals who have committed themselves to one another and to the program. Rick Pitino had built for the University of Louisville a championship team through teamwork. This team came together and they were unified in philosophy, enhanced by their diversity, set apart by their maturity. Unified in philosophy that Rick Pitino has a way he wanted them to play the game. Intense, all out, no holds barred. They're going at it with all they have. There's a, there's a philosophy behind that because when you look at the tournament, teams didn't play like they played. Teams didn't press. Teams weren't diving. There is a philosophy behind how they played that they all bought into. Unified. But not only that, they were enhanced by their diversity. You didn't find a whole bunch of seven-footers on one team, just full of seven-footers, no. They had different makeup, a six-footer, seven-footer, quick, agile, different skill sets that not, it, it didn't separate them, but it actually made them better as they played together. Diversity. And they were set apart by their maturity. They know, in spite of the adversity that was seen, they knew what to do and when to do it and became an extension of their coach's hand on the court. They began to look like how he wanted them to play, maturity. Everyone playing their part, unity, diversity, and maturity. Teamwork ingredients for building a championship team. But, however, this combination is not unique to Louisville basketball. No, it, it, it's been seen by other great teams who won championships. 
But for followers of Jesus Christ, the greatest head coach in history, great teamwork doesn't just win championships, it wins souls. See, the team that Christians play for is called the church. In Matthew 16, Jesus, he declares that he is building his church and that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's the championship team. The gates of hell won't win, undefeated. A billion, trillion, million to zero, the church will win. Jesus is doing something special with his church, and he's doing something special here at Forest. He is putting together a team that consists of ordinary people who through their unity, enhanced by their diversity, set apart by their maturity, would do great things for the kingdom of God. And as we work together in the church, the world will take notice. As Christians, as we work together, the world will begin to see a picture of Jesus growing brighter and brighter. But you have a part to play. Each one of us as individuals has a part to play in the church. So as, as a matter of fact, the church will look more like Jesus to the world when you look to play your part in the church. Let me say that again. The church will look more like Jesus to the world when you look to play your part in the church. So for the rest of our time this morning, let us look at how teamwork plays out through the unity of the church, the diversity in the church, and the maturity from the church. The unity of the church, the diversity in the church, and the maturity from the church. So, so let, let, let's dig in and to set the context, what Paul has just done, Paul has went through such a beautiful explanation of the gospel and who Jesus is and your identity in Christ and, and what God has done on your behalf already. He's brought up all of that, so when he gets to this point, it's, it, it, he, he transitions from what God has done for us, uh, us already to what we must now do. From, from exaltation to exhortation. All centered around the unity of the church. Verses 1 through 6. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This, this unity, this, this oneness that, that Paul is calling Christians to is what? A byproduct of walking worthy. Verse 1, he, he, I therefore, he wants you to live up to your Christian expectations. Live up to who you are, the, the byproduct of walking as Christians are, will produce unity. 
he's asking his he's asking his fellow Christians to represent his team well. How many times have we seen in the news where a, a, a team goes to a bowl game and two days before, all of a sudden, you get a report on the news, the starting quarterback is out, he skipped a curfew, and now he can't play. The, st the star wide receiver uh, w was caught doing such and such, and, and now they can't play. And now the face of the team has been smeared, and it looks bad. Because why? They're not representing the team well. So when Paul is saying, I want you to be united, and it, it, it's just a byproduct of what you should be doing anyway. If you're part of the team, there's, there's certain expectations in how you will walk and how you will talk and, and where you will go and what you will or won't do. Represent the team well. But you know what the key to walking worthy before God is, is actually this, this internal transformation and not external dedication. Internal trans transformation, not an external dedication. Well, what I mean by that, oftentimes when, when someone comes to Christ and they repent and they turn from them, their self and sin and to Jesus Christ, all of a sudden, people begin to put expectations on them. Well, you need to read your Bible, you need to go to church, you need to be praying, you need to be doing, 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 doing this and that and this and that. You ought to, yes. But until your heart has really been transformed, it won't stick. You can want to change as much as you want, but until Jesus get a hold of your heart, won't nothing change. And that's why Paul has just been three chapters discuss, discussing what God has done because he has brought new life, new hope, a new person who is walking for Christ. So as he, as he enters into what we're supposed to be doing, it's because we have been changed. Have you been changed? Do you, do you feel like Jesus someday? Do you desire the things of God? Or, or, or is, it, is, this, is this boy a bear? It's, it's work. It's struggle. The Christian walk is a struggle, but it's joy in it. It's joy in the struggle. Unity within the body of Christ will come from walking worthy of God's call on your life. But let's, let's explore this in a little bit more detail. Let's flush this out. So what does it look like to walk worthy? And this week, I was, I, was, I was really faced with just how short I fell in these areas. Because he says to walk worthy, your life is going to be filled with humility. Humility, that the, the absence of pride. This is a lowliness of mind, humble recognition of the worth and value of other people. When you see somebody, the first thing you think, is how they, could be, how they can improve right away. How they're not like you, so smart, so witty, so attractive, and they need to do X, Y, and Z to get on your level. No, humility is, is walking in a manner that esteems other people higher than yourself. 
whatever they need, however it needs to happen, wherever I need to go. Because the the purpose is is not about me, but it's, it's about the church. It's about the people. It's about the kingdom. Humility, the opposite of pride. He says, walking worthy is is, is walking in gentleness. This is not wimpiness. Gentleness. This is strength under control. Meekness. Like you could go there, but you ain't going there. You've got plenty of reason to go there, but you ain't going there. It's strength under control. This is the person who doesn't look always to assert their personal rights. Well, I'm supposed to be here. I'm supposed to get this, and I'm supposed to do that. No, whatever we need, gentleness, it's it's not harsh. It's not barreling down people's necks. It's not those those quick, smart phrases, those you, you come back with, being a smart aleck. Try, you, know, be, you, know, you, know how, you know how we do. Come on, can we be real this morning? You know how we do. We, we really mean it, but we laugh after we say it to make it like that actually don't count as insult because I laugh. Gentleness, not, not harsh words. Patience, not quick temper. And, and looking and, and flushing this word out, it actually found that this is, this is long-suffering towards aggravating people. This is not just patience like I'm waiting in line because I need to get a pop. This is, they're annoying me, they got my order wrong, and ain't nothing came out to the table hot, and patience. I didn't ask for pickles. They, they, they just got cut in half. No, 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 that's not walking worthy. We're peculiar, we're, we're different, we're the church. Long-suffering, patient when people get on your nerves. He says, bearing with one another in love. This is, this is that mutual tolerance where you're thinking of the welfare of others and the good of the community. We're not always so quick to correct each other. If, if, if it's not a matter of sin, let people say wrong stuff sometimes. <laughs> no, it was 636 and four seconds. No. Church, teamwork. We make allowances for each other's faults. Love covers a multitude of sins. Paul says all this to say, to illustrate, this is the new man living. This is not the old person who wanted their way, was selfish, is all about them, their kingdom. This is the new man. The new creation in Christ Jesus. With with new wants and and new desires and, and new hopes. Because of what God has done. And when we are able to walk in humility, with gentleness and, and, patience, and patience, bearing with one another in love, you can't help but get unity because ain't nobody fighting. 
If I'm walking like that and you're walking like that, we, we can't help but want to be around each other. Unity. And he goes on, and, and I like what he does. He says, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit. Because in Christ, unity is already there, so don't, don't come in this place and mess it up. Eager to maintain. I, I will intentionally try and maintain peace. And he goes in a little further in his example, his illustration. And to help the church in Ephesus, what he does is he, he points to the triune communion to help us get an understanding of what real unity looks like. And, 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 and he says there's, there's one body and one spirit. There's one hope and one Lord and one faith and one baptism, one God and, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and all. He, he points back to God himself, the Trinity, and how they, how they chop it up with one another and how they commune the, that, the, the depth of that intimacy. It's not, hey, how you doing? Did you have a good week? How you feel? Bye. See you like this is this is sitting and communing and knowing one another intimately. True community. True community. When a team comes together, you you you, you, you see that. You see it you, you see when it takes place on the court. The first Three, four, five games, it's like everyone in disarray. Don't nobody know who's going to shoot, when, when they're going to shoot, or they just jacking up shots, and everyone kind of doing their own thing. The team, they, they showed up on the court together, but they're just kind of doing their own thing. But when they buy in, all of a sudden, just because you're open don't mean you have to take the shot. You can look for that extra pass and get the layup. And, and in the body of Christ, just because you show up don't mean you get it your way. But I can, I, can, I can come in and look and say, how can I serve him and how can I serve her? Because we are a body and we are unified. We are unified by a common confession that Jesus Christ is Lord, the son of the living God. So what does this actually look like on a day-to-day basis. What it, it looks like the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and how the Father shows off the Son and the Son shows off the Father. And the Son points to the Spirit so that the people can look to God. And, 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 and in, in, this, in this triune God, the Father is, is giving shout outs and props to the Son and the, and the Son is giving hype to the Father, and the Spirit said, let me get in on this too, and look at Jesus, and, and look at the Father, and everybody's so happy because they're showing off someone else. This becomes real when we make up our mind, when we walk through that door, I, I'm, I'm committed to showing off my brothers and sisters in Christ. 
I'm committed to giving compliments and, and lifting up and, 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 and pointing out your strengths and not your weaknesses and, and pointing out how beautiful it is to know you and, and pointing out how good you are at that and, and pointing out just how much we need you. Go and show off your brothers and sisters. We have to purpose in our heart Intentional, eager to maintain. That's intentionality. Be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Unity. So not only is a championship team built with unity, unity is further enhanced by the individual skills that each player brings to the team. Likewise, a championship Church is built with diversity. Look here at verse 7. And Paul says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And saying he descended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He, he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the, shep- the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. As Paul is addressing this church in, in, in Ephesus, he, he, he's saying, You will be marked by your oneness, but your oneness will be enhanced by your diversity. What makes you tick? What makes you individual? That will enhance this oneness. And he's saying that he knows for a fact that each person is unique because Jesus has given them a gift. This spiritual gift, this supernatural ability given to believers. Every believer has a spiritual gift. Spiritual gifts are are listed in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. There's other places that points out specific things, but every person is unique. And as each person has received a spiritual gift, each person is necessary to the church. You are necessary to the church. Coupled with who you are, God has uniquely qualified you and given you to his local church. There's only one you anyway. And then put on top of that, this unique spiritual gift that God has given you, there's no one like you. We see that for you avail these set of individuals really worked well together. But let's say that Luke Hancock was not on the team. If he was not on the team, then they would have lost the game. This bench player who wins the most outstanding player in this NCAA tournament because of his individual performance on this team, He uniquely had the skill set in order to bring them back from a deficit. You don't have a center going out there trying to stroke threes and get you back in the game. 
You, it, it's certain players you just don't want to take that shot. But he is individually made up to take that shot to get you back in the game. And brothers and sisters, some of you here have that unique gifting, unique ability that we need you to take the shot. We need you to show up, take the shot, and get the church back in the game. There's a deficit, and we need all hands on deck. See, and that's, this, is the, this is the perspective of church. Many people believe, well, church is optional. I really don't need to be a member. I can kind of go when I want to. See, but you missed the purpose then. Because you think the church is there for you. But Jesus says, you're here for the church. He, he takes that perspective, turns it on the head, and say, now you need to be a part of them, because when you are a part of them, then we all look good. This is teamwork, diversity. The body of Christ needs you. And it's beautiful what what Paul does here by, by, throwing in, by putting in this part from, from Psalm 68 where he says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now, if you looked at Psalm 68, verse, uh, verse 18, you'll see that it actually says, and he received gifts from men. So what is it, Paul? Did, did Jesus receive gifts or did he give gifts? And as he goes into verse 9 and 10, what, what Paul is setting up is the supremacy, the divinity of Jesus Christ himself. Because what he's doing is he's saying that this, this conqueror has came, he has defeated the enemy, taken their gifts, taken the bounty, taken all that, and given it back to his people. So we have received gifts from our King Jesus. And he doesn't stop there because he goes and he, he, Jesus gives apostles and, and prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to the church to teach and proclaim the word of God, this teaching ministry that's, that, that's going on. So all these gifts you, you, you put into the mix and notice what's the purpose. The purpose is to equip the saints. For what? For the work of the ministry. For the building up of the body of Christ. Understand what, what Paul is saying here by ministry. He's saying that Jesus gave each one of us a supernatural gift so that we may use it to serve somebody. That's what this text is saying. When the text says ministry, serve. We receive gifts to serve one another. We don't receive gifts to say, oh, look how sweet I am. I can go back. I can go behind the back. I, I can do this. I, we, we don't come in here trying to show out our own gifts, but we take our gifts and we show off one another. Diversity. Diversity. In essence, what Jesus is saying through the Apostle Paul is that a Christian who is not serving in their local church is not serving the purposes of Jesus. That's what he's saying. Because Jesus has given gifts so that we may serve. Now be careful for those who are serving. Remember humility. 
Because it's easy to poke out my chest. I'm doing this and I'm doing that. It's, it's easy to go there, but humility. Don't wait until the church gets it all together before you join in. We want things to kind of be all together before we, we become a part of it. I don't want to be associated with that mess. No, you're part of the mess. That's, that's the question. I don't go to church because there's hypocrites in the church. Come on, we got room for one more. Because the church is a hospital for sick, broken people. When you show up and you think you have it all together, you're, you're going completely against scripture. We're in this together. Diversity. In other words, when you come, when you come in, be glad that everyone is not like you. What if you showed up and everyone was just like you? It'd be an argument off rip because they're sitting in your seat. If everyone thought like you and talked like you, no. No, we, we, we think we always know best, but Jesus is saying, I'm the one building this church. I know what I'm doing. And I'm using all kind of people from all kind of backgrounds with all kind of baggage in all kind of situations that, that bring them together that, that I may be glorified. Because only Jesus can do that. Jesus assembles his team to be diverse. So having, having unity is one key to building a championship team, and having diversity is another. Yet, I, I actually believe the most important ingredient to building a championship team is maturity. Verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the measure of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into the head, him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Paul addresses the process in which it will take for the church to grow. He's talking about just how long am I supposed to serve these people? That's that... That's the question he asked. How long, how long am I supposed to do this? And he says, until we mature to the point that each believer has achieved a, a unified understanding of faith, until each believer has become like Christ in completeness, and each believer has achieved Christ-likeness. So how long are we going to be at this? <laughs> this is an ongoing process that will only come to completion when we see our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, face to face. This, this process doesn't end on this side of glory. We, we can't show up thinking that one day this will be it. 
One day, Forrest will have it all together, and I'll be excited. No, we will never have it all together because only Jesus has it all together. So serve now and help move us along. You can't show up with the t-shirt, been there, done that. We can't hide behind excuses. You can't teach old dog new tricks. An ongoing, ever struggle process. But the beauty of this is what we find when we do grow up in Christ. Because as we mature spiritually, we won't fall into the same sin. We won't keep doing those same things as before because something is taking place. And, and, and when I look here, it, it reminds me of the protection that comes from numbers. Because in Ephesus, that, that was a very pagan city, and everyone around the church would have been worshiping false gods, and there would have been a way of life. You just did that because that's what you do. And it's kind of like our culture now. People aren't really thinking about what they're doing. It's just what you do. It's sin. I, I, everybody, everybody posts that stuff on Instagram. Everybody likes those type of feature, pictures on Facebook. It's just what you do. But as you mature, something takes place, and this maturity is happening in the midst of others. Paul is saying there is safety in numbers. I remember watching, it was an internet cessation for a little bit, that video with that baby buffalo. And what happened was it was this camera guy just watching everything kind of play out. And a herd of buffalo are, are, are walking past, but over here on the right was like a pack of lions. And the lions, they, they hunch, and they're they ready to, to pounce. And there's this big water hole, and the buffalo come strolling past. They ain't thinking about nothing. And they come, and the, and the lions, all of a sudden, the lions jump up and attack the pack of buffaloes. But they don't attack the big buffaloes, the mature ones. They attack the babies. Because the baby can't really fight back. It can't fight back. So this pack of lions attack this baby buffalo, and they, and they fall into this, this river pit. And as they are attacking this baby buffalo, they're trying to get it out. They're trying to have some dinner. All of a sudden, an alligator come on the other side and, and grabs the back of the buffalo's feet. Like, man, he's having a bad day. <laughs> and then now the lion's struggling with the alligator over the buffalo. Meanwhile, all the buffalo's gone. And then I don't know what happened because then the camera shows the lions be, pull up the buffalo. So the alligator gone. They pull up the buffalo, and all of a sudden, this wall of buffalo began creeping up all together. Now, not one by one, all together. And as they creep up, the lions begin to stop what they're doing. They stop attacking the baby because now their attention is on the adults. And the adults come around and they begin to attack the lions. But there's so many of them, the lions can't do anything. And when I think about that picture, I think about the church 
circling around those baby Christians who are being devoured each and every day. There's safety in numbers. When you are in trouble, when you are in difficult times, don't run away from the people who love you. Come back to us and let us circle up so they save you from the situation. We are a family, and, and we may be scared off by a situation, but we need to come back together and say, no, I'm not going to let that family fall. I'm not going to let that marriage fail. I'm not going to let that child do dumb things. I, I'm going to be involved. That only comes from maturity because a child thinks you in their business. But the adult knows you're just trying to protect them. And as we grow up in Christ, as we rescue baby Christians and, and bring them back into the fold and feed them truth, not lies, we, we, we feed them the truth of Scripture. We give them a steady diet of truth. Verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. As we begin to heal marriages with the truth, as we heal wayward children with the truth, the the text here, it, it can also be interpreted confessing the truth. Many people, they run to the scripture when they want to talk about somebody but I'm only speaking the truth in love. And, and they come to attack you. But what this, this is actually is broader. It's saying that the truth of Scripture fills this place where, where the truth of the gospel is accepted in this place. The truth of the gospel is spoken loud in, course, in corporate worship in this place. We're talking with fellow believers about the gospel in this place. And we're upholding it firmly. It don't matter what the world's standards are. This is the truth, and this is what we're going to live by. And watch what happens when we do this. In verse 16, from whom the whole body joined, talk about Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint, with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It's like a chemical reaction takes place. The body grows up into the head, who is is Jesus, and, and the head is the source of nourishment for the body. Then the nourishment begins to strengthen the members who are the joints, and, and everything begins to work together in unity. And when it works together in unity with, with diversity from maturity, and, and then we grow up in more love. And it gets bigger and bigger and greater and greater. Why? We actually have a part, a role to play in the building up of the church. And when we love one another, special things happen. And that's, in John 13, this is where Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, 
you also are to love one another. Now watch this. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. As you grow, as we grow up in maturity, in the truth, and in love, the people will stop seeing the church and they will start seeing Jesus. They will start seeing the very face and hands of Jesus. It's funny because my, my wife reminds me often that the older I get, I look more like my daddy. The older I get, the more I act like my daddy and, and talk like my daddy and do, do those silly grandfather things like my dad. And it's true. Because I've sat under him for so long that who he is has become who I am. And I'm maturing. And, and you're seeing more and more of his image. The, 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 the more I mature, the more you see my dad. And as the church, the more we mature, the more we love, the more truth that is taught, the more we will look like Jesus, who is the head. In other words, if we are, to, are going to carry out the play that Jesus has given, if you are going to fulfill that great commission call that Jesus gave you, then you must love me, and I must love you, the church. I love the church, and you should too. The unity of the church putting aside our old self, putting aside ourselves, do nothing from robbery or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Unity comes when I'm showing you all the diversity in the church. We need you. There's only one you. You should feel special because you have a gift. And we need it. Everyone running around here want to be part of something. And Jesus says, my church, show up and let us use your gifts for his glory and the maturity from the church. When we grow up like we're supposed to, when we fight for one another's families and homes, when we, when we get each other's back and we're growing in truth and love, that maturity makes us look like our dad. And the world will see Jesus. All of these are vital teamwork ingredients. Why, why, why does any of this even matter? Why does the church even matter? Why should we care about building a championship church here at Forest? And I argue it matters because broken and hurting people need to see the face of Jesus. Wayward children need to see the face of Jesus. Marriages need to see the face of Jesus. A hurting world needs Jesus. He's the only hope. He's the only answer. But I don't know if you notice, 
There are times when the church isn't a place where much teamwork is going on. And we may not see unity maintained or diversity celebrate. And the reason for this is simple. You're really not a good teammate. We're really not good teammates. Instead of walking in humility, we'd rather walk in pride, saying, look at me. Instead of gentleness, we want to we say whatever's on our heart. Well, I'm just honest. That's just how I am. Whatever it is, it is still sin reigning in your body. And on your own, you will never overcome it. You'll always be the person who gets mad when someone sits in your seat. You always get mad when, when, they, when we forget to, to thank you publicly. We get upset when the preacher keeps you past one. On our own, we, are, on our own, we, will, we will just stay mad. It's that sin. But we can be free. What are we to do? We, we rise to the occasion by looking to Jesus, the builder of this church. Just as Jesus is the builder of the church, he is the one who sustains the church. In John 17, that's where Jesus is talking about what's going on. Did you know in John 17, Jesus says he's praying for you? Jesus himself is praying for you. Now, I don't know about you, my prayers may not get through sometimes. But if Jesus is praying for me, I know the Father hears. And I know the Father is moved. Jesus is praying for you, and he's asking the Father that he will sanctify you in truth. Sanctify, clean you up. Clean you up by the washing of the word of God. Clean you up by being part of the church. Clean you up through his word. But it's an, another amazing thing that he says he's going to do. He says, for our sake, he consecrated himself. And when, I, when I saw that, I was like, this, that, what is Jesus talking about? He consecrated himself. When Jesus says he consecrated himself, he's saying he set himself apart so that we may be set, uh, sanctified. He, he, he set himself apart as the perfect sinless offering that we may experience freedom from sin and enjoy his holiness and his righteousness. Because Jesus has consecrated himself, we are sanctified when we bow the knee and confess our pride and confess our, our, our harsh words and, and all those wrong things that we do. As the head of the church, Jesus sustains his people with a diet of truth and love. Truth and love. This is what the church is, is to be. A dwelling place for truth and love. A place where the world sees the face of Jesus. The church is his championship trophy. When Jesus rose with all authority and victory and power in his hand, he came back and set his flag. 
And that flag is a representation of the kingdom. And that flag is the church. And, and, and it's just like Jesus is saying to the devil, look what I won. And sets it in front of him and says, I'm victorious. These people are different. This, they are a reflection of me. Something awesome is going on right here. You are the trophy of Jesus. The church is his championship trophy. We can continue to focus on what's wrong with the church so much that we can't see what it could be. Let's move from that situation of thinking, no, it, it'll never happen. It'll never change. No, Jesus said, the gates of hell should not prevail. And if he says that, I believe it's worth showing up. I believe it's worth, it, it, it's worth getting your feelings hurt sometimes. It's worth having to, to, to move over a chair or come out of a room for the sake of the kingdom. If, if Jesus says that that is worth it, then I believe it's worth it. The church, is, the church is actually not for you. It's for Jesus. Let us rise to the occasion for it and be the church that God has called us to be. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you for your word, and we come humbly, Lord, asking you to forgive us of our sins. Forgive us, Lord, for our pride, for our arrogance. Forgive us for not being patient, for being harsh. Forgive us for not bearing with one another in love. Forgive us for breaking up the unity that you have called us to maintain. Father, forgive us for not celebrating the diversity that you have placed here for your purpose. And Father, forgive us for being babies sometime and not growing in maturity. But Father, we're so glad that you're a God of second chances. That on Calvary's cross, you place each one of our sins there. Taking sin away and giving us your righteousness. Father, I beg that you will make us the church that you will have us to be, not the church that we want. Father, continue to stretch us and get us out of our comfort zone and, and to do awesome and wonderful things for the sake of your kingdom through us. Father, we love you and we trust you above all things because we know you're faithful for your glory. In the namesake we do pray. Amen.